Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, if you're one of the ones that already love your work, welcome in. If you're not, if you're a new listener or if you're somebody who still has not figured out how to find or create work that you love, stay tuned. We're going to be giving you some tips, some pointers, some advice in the framework of answering people's questions. Now, during the week, I have people who submit lots and lots of questions uh, to me, Dan Meller here at 48days.com, and then I scan through those Choose some of the ones that I think will invigorate us, give us all some interesting tips. And of course, the questions that are asked are more interesting than those I could dream up. So we're going to be unpacking some of those as we continue on this path of finding or creating work that's meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. You know, there's still a myth out there that if I do something I really love, I'm probably going to just be eking along the bottom of the barrel making beans and rice, rice and beans. Well... Why would we think that? Why would we think that it's easier to make money doing something we hate than doing something we love? Well, I'm here to tell you it's a whole lot easier to make money doing something you love than trying to be responsible, practical, realistic, all those things we frame it as adults in doing something that's tearing our soul out every day when we're doing it. Well, there's too many options in today's environment. Yes, even in this economy, don't tell me nobody's hiring the economies in the tank. You know, the wrong people in political power, whatever you're using as an excuse. No, when it comes right down to it, it's our option to make the life that we live. And we're going to give you some tips for how to make the life that you live even more effective. Here's some of the questions we're going to be dealing with today. Dan, I haven't been to a professional, but I suspect I have ADD and self-esteem issues. Hey, don't we all? We'll look at that. Someone says, my art has become what I love to do, but I'm wondering if I put myself out there too soon. Do you wait until things are perfect? Do you wait until your business is perfect, your product, your service, whatever is perfect before you start? No? Well, we'll look at that. Dan, you strike me as a man who would have to believe in the benefits of what you sold. What was it you sold right after your crash a few years ago? I referenced that, that I always land on my feet and selling. And when I went through a phenomenal crash, that's exactly what I did. I'll tell you what it was that I was selling. No problem at all. Dan, would it be possible for me to make money with my passion for classic Cadillacs? Absolutely. And I'll tell you why. How would I get clients and get startup capital for a bookkeeping service for small business? And then we always have these hot potatoes that are thrown in there. Dan, is it right for a Christian to do currency trading as a hobby or as a way to earn money? Well, we'll we'll look at that and more. Got some events coming up here at the sanctuary. Only a couple more this year. One coming up real quick is our right to the bank event. That's always an exciting time. We have people from all over the country come in here and uh, share a couple days with us. And we talk about how to take your writing and turn that into income. There's a whole lot of frustrated authors out there. You know them as well as I, you know, somebody who wrote a book or got a publishing deal and geez, you know, they sold a thousand copies, didn't do anything to put money in their pocket. And they're frustrated with that. They thought that was their, you know, magnum opus, their life's work. They, 
put blood, sweat, and tears between the covers of a book and it never sold. Well, we, we talk about how to change that scenario. Uh, the first thing is you have to get out of the idea that a publisher is going to do the marketing for you. You have to do that yourself. Figure out what your platform is, how you can address that, how you can stir things up to sell your product. If you want to join us for that, just check the live events under 48days.com. You'll see the things we've got coming up here in the next few months. Be a delight to meet you, shake your hand, uh, eat some wonderful southern food together, which we always do. We'd love to see you here. Well, let me get right into the questions, Joy. From Savannah, Georgia says, ah, Dan, I need some guidance. I'm 27 helping with a family dry cleaning business. I won't be leaving soon with a $400 a week paycheck. And, but I want to start a side job to make some income. I run a substation by myself. So I have about 12 hours to kill every day. Now, I guess what joy is implying that she, you know, man's the counter at a dry cleaning and, um, just taking in new work and delivering you know, clean clothes, uh, doesn't take up a lot of nonstop time. So she has a lot of free time. I have internet access. So I wanted to start some kind of internet business. Great. But what? I don't know what I'm passionate about. I just know I want to sell things online. I've listened to all your shows. Uh, just don't know what and how to start an internet business. I was going towards selling bridal accessories, but then there's so many people selling those same things. I only have about a thousand dollars to invest. Don't know where and how to begin. Ah, uh, help. Now what you want to do when you want to start an internet business, don't just artificially start an internet business. Businesses are too challenging to run on our own successfully, even under the best of circumstances. So make sure that it's connected with something you already know about, understand and love. So start with what you love. If you love the bridal accessories business, then that's fine. You can start there. It doesn't matter that somebody else is doing it. You are not going to find anything that somebody else is not doing. I just got off the phone a few minutes ago with a a longtime friend, venture capitalist, and he's raised some money for his latest venture, which are golf clubs that are imported from China. And he says, nobody's ever had anything like this before, blah, blah. Well, my ears just go absolutely waxed over when somebody gets to the point and they say, nobody's ever done this before. I mean, that is ludicrous. There are people who have done every particular kind of thing that you could think about doing. One of the things that will slam the door when you're talking to a publisher, if you want to get into the writing business the thing that will slam the door quicker than anything else is to tell a publisher, nobody's ever written about this before. Publishers know better than that. You should know better than that. Don't try to convince yourself it's never been done before. However, having said that, that doesn't mean you can't make a million dollars doing it because all you have to do is take something that has been done before that people already know about and enjoy and appreciate, do it 10% better or provide added value and you can knock it out of the park. I mean, that's what you want to do. So don't confuse yourself looking for something that's never been done before. If it's never been done before, there may be good reasons that hasn't been done before. Now, Joy, as to your questions, what do you do to get up to speed to do an internet business? Just go to eBay tutorials. I mean, just put that in a Google search. It'll take you right to the tutorials on the back end of eBay. It's the finest training available out there that I know of for how to be successful with an internet business. Now there's a whole lot of other people as well that are providing or selling information. Open yourself up to that. 
you know, spend a couple hundred dollars a month. Uh, spend your investment capital on learning how to do a business well. But you can do that and you can do it uh, quickly. The Internet's very forgiving. You know, you can try something and if it doesn't work, just stop and try something else. I mean, that's a whole lot different than starting a traditional business like a dry cleaning business or a bookstore, or a restaurant, or an auto repair business where you put a whole lot on the line before you ever open the door the first day. The Internet's not like that. You can try something and you can promote a particular uh, product or book that you are going to sell. And if you don't get any responses, yeah, you just change it. If you do get responses, then you go purchase the product so you can then sell it to the people who have bought it from you. I mean, you can do a lot of innovative things where you don't risk much of anything. Well, uh, Lat says from Herndon, Virginia says, Dan, I found you through my best friend, Nicholas. Um, shortly after I purchased 48 days to the work you love, also listen to your podcast. I want to say thank you for what you do. I'm working on a business idea with my friend. We have an idea for a web-based company that initially specializes in t-shirt sales. We would only act as a host like Etsy, E-T-S-Y. You can check that. That's a big, big site for people that are doing small crafty projects of their own. You can sell them there. But he says, we'll only act as a host like Etsy where sellers will have the ability to sell their own, set their own prices. We're going to be committed to low seller's fees, not like eBay. Lastly, because we are a hosting site, we will be able to offer a variety of t-shirt designs for a one-stop shop where we are not limited with a certain style. Thanks uh, for your time, my friend, and I look forward to your response. Well, what I would encourage you to do, I mean, what one of the things you do when you're starting any business is what we call due diligence, D-U-E, due diligence, where you research who is already doing what I want to do. Well, when you're talking about designing T-shirts and selling them on the internet, you need to check internet. You need to check out Zazzle, Z-A-Z-Z-L-E, Zazzle.com. Um, let's see, another one would be CafePress.com. Go there. Those places allow people to design their own T-shirts. They can set the price just like you're talking about, and then if people purchase them, then Zazzle or Cafe Press get part of the profits. So. Nobody spends any money until something is actually sold. I mean, they can be set up to do t-shirts and they can have 20 designs out there, but they don't have t-shirts printed and set in on the shelves. That would be really ridiculous in today's kind of business environment. They can just have the designs there. And if somebody orders a particular shirt, then they go print that one and send it out the next day. I mean, that's how that's done. So yeah, you can do that, but you have to ask yourself, what is going to be your USP? What is, what are you going to do better than what Zazzle and Cafe Press are already doing? When you say there's low hosting fees, I mean, there are places where you don't have any hosting fee. You simply pay a percentage of the product when it's sold. So make sure you understand the other players in that. Then you can experiment like I'm talking about. You can have a lot of fun with it, but you have to figure out why are people going to be drawn to one more player in that arena? What is it you're going to do better than what's being done already? Michelle from Dallas says, I'm blessed with a pleasant work environment and a boss who helps me grow, but it's not my ideal job. I perform best when uninterrupted, but I have to handle phones, walk-ins, last-minute orders on a regular basis. It's a very small company run on a skeleton crew, so there's nowhere to transfer. Whenever I start a new routine, I'm off task within three months. This includes everything from budgets to apartment searches to job hunting. I haven't been to a professional, but I suspect I have ADD and self-esteem issues. It takes all my concentration to perform at work and raise two small kids. I know I'm internet and creative, 
intelligent and creative. So this frustrates me. Should I get counseling first or do you have tips for a job hunt in baby steps? I've read 48 days, but keeping up with the steps seems overwhelming. Thanks. Well, 48 days, the 48 days process, you know, which we have laid out very clearly. I mean, you can get that with the 48 days app where you have the schedule right on your smartphone and you just check today. I'm supposed to do this. You can track your progress there, but it's a very short term focused process. You don't have to change who you are, how you're wired, clarify what the ideal job and environment would be in your case, create a list of 30 to 40 target companies, and then go through the three-step process of contact and follow-up that I lay out. Now you say I'm off task within three months. Okay. That's 90 days. This is only 48 days. I mean, you, you ought to be able to, to work your way through a very short term focused, intense process like we have laid out. Now, here's the other part of your question and kind of the, uh, the, the mal the quandary that you set out where you say that you think you may have ADD. I suspect any of us who do non-traditional things, any of us who experience extraordinary success probably has a level of ADD. I certainly have been told that. And most of the people I know who are doing really cool, fun, innovative, profitable things. Yeah, you better believe it. They'd have ADD. So what does that mean? I mean, that means that you are not a good candidate for just sitting in a classroom somewhere and coloring inside the lines or sitting in a cubicle somewhere and coloring inside the lines. Is that a bad thing? Well, I would be concerned if I didn't have some of the characteristics of ADD because I would be concerned that I'm going to be content with a very mediocre life that I'm going to be content with just doing things that are normal and a status quo. That's not where I want to live. So, Hey, call me what you want. Hey, you can call me bipolar, ADHD, ADD, bring it on. I welcome those terms. If those in fact describe the characteristics that allow me to achieve success in extraordinary and fulfilling ways. So do the same, allow those things to fuel your desire to not settle for the ordinary and to create a work environment that really fits you. Well, you're listening to Dan Meller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. If you've got a question for us, you can shoot that in. Lots of people do. Just go to the podcast link on 48days.com. You'll see a little starburst there. You can shoot your question in. I'll include it on an upcoming show. Or you can just shoot me a direct email at askdan at 48days.com. Well, Stephanie from Portland says, Dan, in a previous podcast, you mentioned the benefits of focused work versus the perils of multitasking. I've made several steps to focus on work while I'm at my nine to five job, and it's been extremely helpful. The problem is that thoughts of my transition plan, my work outside of my nine to five pop into my head. Often they're great thoughts. In light of trying to focus while at work, should I stop and write these great ideas down, then get back to my day job? Or should I just ignore those thoughts and get back to my day job? Thank you. Well, here's what's going to happen, Stephanie. Great question. You never want to ignore great ideas or thoughts that come into your head. Whenever that happens, what you want to do, though, is create a system for capturing that idea, then get back to the task at hand. You know, you, you'll have people looking over your shoulder telling you this as well. But that's okay. If you capture those great ideas that you've got, by the end of the day, you're going to have four or five really good ideas that you can go back to, review, and act on. 
you're going to do a whole lot better at clearing your mind by getting those ideas down on paper than by just trying to put them in a different part of your brain while you focus on your work. Don't try to just put them under the carpet. No, they'll keep coming back because they want expression. But as soon as you put pen and paper to it, you jot it down somewhere. Then you can really free up that space in your brain again, knowing that you've captured it. It doesn't have to keep trying to sneak in. No, when, when I say focus, when I say I work in uninterrupted, focused blocks of time, which I do, that doesn't mean that I ignore all the new thoughts that pop up in my head. I welcome those during those times of focused work. When I'm writing something, I'm going to have a flood of new ideas or remember quotations and it'll trigger a thought. It'll remind me of a story that I heard about, you know, Henry Ford or JC Penney or Benjamin Franklin or something. I capture those. I'm working on revising a book that I bought the rights to recently right now. And as I'm working on that, it just opens up a world of new ideas. I have a system where at the very end, it's about a 240 page book. I'm revising and making it my own content. I'll have the previous author's name and, and my name both on the front. Got a great forward that was done by one of the great thinkers of our time. So, but while I'm doing that, I'm capturing all those wild and crazy ideas that come into my mind by simply going to the last page and I jot them down there. So I'm not integrating them right now, but I'm making sure that I don't lose them. That's the way you want to approach those other ideas. It's not a compromise of your ability to do great work for your current employer. But yeah, you don't want to lose those ideas. You want to capture those every time they come into your mind. Brandon from Huntington, West Virginia says, I've been a restaurant manager, vacuum salesman, car salesman, band director, and mailman. My current job pays me $50,000, but I work Monday through Saturday from six, from 7.30 to 6. My job is too good to quit with a new baby on the way, debt, and a potential layoff in my future, but it does not allow me the flexibility to start something up on the side and transition to what I think I really want to do. That would be selling real estate and or cars. The personality profile suggests careers requiring experience or degrees. I don't have. That's fine. Brandon, don't worry about that. The career profile is going to suggest you may be, you know, an obstetrician or a, a dentist. That's okay. But if those aren't interest of yours, that doesn't mean that you need to go invest the time, energy, and money in getting those degrees, have the opportunity cost of doing that. Not at all. I mean, if that doesn't fit you, ignore that and go on. Brandon continues, though I dream of self-employment, I think there is more than one fit for everyone. How do you find a transition job or career that is a match for when you don't know what you want to be? I've read your 48 days, but I still don't know how to begin a job search without knowing what to search for. Well, now you, you've thrown quite a few different things in the mix here, Brandon, starting something on the side that self, which would be self-employment, which you say is where you want to end up anyway, that doesn't require that you go through the 48 days job search process. You don't need to do any of that. You just start doing it. What you're talking about and both of the things that you mentioned, selling real estate or cars are things that can be done in any amount of time you want to devote to those. If you want to spend, you know, four or five hours a week, you can do that. I mean, four or five hours a week, you can jump on eBay or Craigslist or run around the neighborhood and see cars in people's front yards and buy a car that you can clean up and resell if you want to do that. This also allows you to try it and see if it's a fit like you. 
See, that's very unlike, you know, you're, you say you're not sure you, what you really want to do, but you think it might be real estate or cars. You can try that without having a whole lot of investment or a lock-in. That's very much unlike a job where you are locking yourself in for a two to three year period, realistically. And yes, there is more than one fit for anyone. That's the beauty of being able to try different things until you find what that fit is for you. Then you can ramp it up and develop it more fully. Tim says, Tim from Spokane says, I just recently started an online fitness consulting and education business that I hope will ultimately be a great resource for anyone interested in fitness. It's matrixfitted.com. I recently met a registered dietitian that I think very highly of and would like to do some joint workshops together. Our idea is to create workshops that people come to to develop their blueprint for health. They'll include everything they need from finding their motivation to goal setting, to putting their plan into motion. We would also like to produce these as DVDs and promote them online. I'm very excited about this. Any advice, ideas on how to make this a great opportunity? Should we create a separate business entity together for these or should we stay in separate businesses? If we keep separate, how do we keep track of each other's royalties for DVD sales? Thanks for your advice. Well, Tim, I mean, I love what you're talking about here and absolutely you know, do it. This is one of those, again, there's very little downside. Try it, decide what it is that you're going to do. What is your USP? What makes you stand out? I mean, you're getting into a very crowded arena. You don't have to look around very long or far to see how many people have the latest, best way to get into shape, to lose weight, to have more stamina, whatever it is. So you have to be clear on what it is that you're bringing to the table. What are you going to do to get people to invest their money and time to come to a workshop. Now that that's not an easy thing. I mean, you can go to, I mean, I've got people who want to be in the same kind of industry you're talking about here and they go to whole foods or to the rec center or to health and fitness centers around town. And they announce they're going to do a seminar workshop. And those places are very accommodating. I mean, they want things that draw people into their doors. So it's a very good setup, a win-win for everybody. So you can do that, but getting people to invest not only their money, but their time in a workshop is a challenging thing. If they don't know about previous work that you've done, if they haven't heard you in other ways, so you have to figure out how are you going to do that? Now I would encourage you and the registered dietitian to keep your businesses separate. There's no reason at this point to start a new entity where you blend those. Just start promoting the workshops. You can split the expenses and the profits if you want. Same thing for creating DVDs. Just split the cost. And then you may choose not to even bundle the sales, but to each promote and sell the DVDs. Both of you just buy them at actual cost, sell them however you want, for whatever price you want. That way you create your own income and avoid the complications of joint ownership. That's the way I would recommend that you do this. Well, just a reminder, you're listening to Dan Meller and the 48 Days Online Radio Show. And again, if you want to submit a question, you can go to the 48days.com podcast link and you'll see a red starburst there where you can put in your question. We'll include that in an upcoming show. Be happy to address that. Or you can shoot an email to askdan at 48days.com. Well, Vana from Laverne, Tennessee says, Dan, I'm a self-taught artist, launched a website, art for a mission.com offering prints of my work as well as other products. You know, I often give websites on here and people think, well, gee, you know, isn't that a really big deal to give somebody's website? I do that all the time. I mean, I have, I have 
created my business and the success that I've had by being a resource for people. I don't have to invent, create, come up with every new theory on my own. I'm just a resource for helping people find what they need. So I very willingly link people together, let them determine, is that something that's going to help me? So I do that a lot on here and happy to do so. Bonna says, I want to use any income that comes in to support my family and also support missions. I don't view my work as good as most established artists, but I get great compliments from the people around me. I'm continuing to work on improving my skills. Would one day like to do this full time? My art has become what I love to do, even the learning part, but I don't know how to market my work or website to generate sales or interest. So I'm wondering if I've put myself out there too soon. What would you recommend? I currently have a full-time job, so my time to devote to marketing and even to working on my art is limited. Thanks, Bonna. Well, I checked out your website, Bonna, and you obviously have a heart for missions, for humanitarian causes, because you have way more information on there about those missions that you'd like to support than you do about your art. I think you ought to reverse that. In as much as you have a heart for that, that's your heart. What you do with your money is your, certainly your choice. But ultimately, people are going to buy your art because they like your art, not because they're supporting a humanitarian organization. If they want to support that organization, they ought to give money to them directly, not funnel it through you, knowing you're going to take part of it. So just be realistic about that. People are going to buy your art because they like your art. Be careful about saying your art isn't great yet. If people are buying it at all, they obviously like it. So take it for what it is. Will you be a better artist two years from now than you are now? Absolutely. That's what practice and learning, ongoing education experience does for any of us. But start with where you are. Focus more on your art. Make it great. Sell tons of it. And then do what you wish with the money that you make. Now, I've been involved in you know a lot of things. We have a lot of family connections with uh, things that are humanitarian where people buy jewelry and art. Joanne, my wife and my daughter, Ashley are getting ready to have golly, some kind of extravaganza. I don't even know what they're calling it. They're going to do it here at the sanctuary, our barn in Franklin, Tennessee. And they're going to have about 15 different vendors come in, all of whom have some kind of product where the back end is part of supporting some kind of missions or humanitarian or worthwhile organization. And it's a very cool thing. And people do love to come and shop at those. But again, trust me, people buy the products if it's a really great product. They don't buy it because they feel sorry for you or or just want to make a donation. They buy it because it's great. So focus on making whatever it is you bring to the table absolutely great. I mean, my son who works with the ladies in Africa, Uganda, and Kenya, and Rwanda, he doesn't expect people to buy their jewelry because they feel sorry for those women who live on the other side of the world. He expects people to buy jewelry and he knows this from firsthand experience because it's absolutely stunning jewelry. He has them create, he has things designed and then has things created that will stand up with anything coming out of New York or LA. It's high fashion jewelry. He displays it as such doesn't make a play on you you ought to buy this rather than going down to Macy's and buying something there. No, you buy it because it's the best thing you can possibly find. Well, Ivan has an interesting question. He says, Dan, what was it that you sold right after your business collapsed when the banking rules were changed? I heard you talk about this numerous times before, but I'd like to know more specifics. How did you find it? You strike me as a man who would have to 
believe in the benefits of what you sold, what were they? Was it door-to-door, phone, commercial sales, combination of all three? Well, here, here's the deal. And just a, a real quick snapshot of that. Yeah, a few years ago, you know, I crashed and burned. A banking changes took place. I was left kind of holding the bag with some open notes, which the bank called. I was forced into liquidating a couple of businesses that I sold at public auction and ended up owing hundreds of thousands of dollars. Okay, you've, you've heard the story before. I won't go into that. Knowing that at that time, I had two clear choices. Now, I was very employable. I had a master's degree in clinical psychology at that point. I've added to that since then, but I, I was teaching as an adjunct professor. It would be very easy for me to get a position teaching or consulting in business or coaching. I mean, those are things I knew I could do, uh, getting positions at that. However, when I was looking at half a million dollars in debt that I just made a decision I was going to repay rather than walk away from, if I took a traditional job, if I took a job teaching and they paid me $60,000, what are the chances I would ever see the light of day again in repaying that debt and trying to live and raise a family with three kids in the meantime? It just didn't work. The math didn't work. The only way I saw as a possibility to get out of that hole that I had dug for myself, and it was my responsibility, no matter what change in the circumstances, it was my responsibility. The only option I had to get out of that big hole was to get back in the game again as an entrepreneur, to do something non-traditional, jump back in the game, roll the dice, however you want to frame it. And I don't mind any of those. That's what I did. So I took a job commission only selling. Now I had no capital. Believe me, I had zero capital. The IRS took everything, house, cars. I had nothing. I borrowed a car. But I took a job. Now, the way I got this job, now, uh, when I say job, I'm saying that loosely because there was no salary, no guarantee, no benefits. It was just an opportunity to go sell a product for a company. But here's what it was. They, I did respond to an ad. I walked into a room in response to that foreign interview, and the room was full of guys in black suits. Over a two-day period, the company interviewed 64 guys. I got this opportunity. I told them I was the guy they needed. I, however, had showed up for that interview with a pink sport coat on. So I kind of stood out as unusual right from the start, and I said, you better believe it. I'm not the, your typical guy. I can make this happen. Now, what I was doing was this. I was enrolling students in proprietary post-high school training programs. You've seen the things that are advertised on TV where we'll get you into this um, into this uh, travel agent training program or hotel management or truck driving. You know, there are a whole bunch of things like that that people could enroll in. And I was enrolling students in those programs. Now, the way that was done is we would enroll them. They would immediately get some money in their hands. Now, this was all Pell Grant and student loan money. We had access to millions and millions of dollars. This was a few years ago and things were much looser than they are today. So I was getting these kids access to the money. They would go through the program. Then they would go on site for six weeks of training and then they would be certified. They would be prepared in a particular area of study. I did go into that really believing here's an opportunity for me to do what I love doing anyway, find helping people find a passion and then really putting legs on that, changing the life that you're living now, 
you know, a lot of these kids were living in welfare housing. When I signed them up, they're easy to sign up because there's these, uh, the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And I thought I can really help these kids change their lives. I did that for almost two years because it was so lucrative and because yes, I can do that really, really well. I developed a 12 question interviewing thing where I would knock on somebody's doors. It wasn't, you know, I'm here to sell something. It's I'm doing a survey, an educational survey. I would really appreciate your advice and opinion. Well, who's going to say no to that? So I walked them through the 12 questions that walked them right into saying yes to anything that I answered. It was very easy to close them on the program that I was presenting because it was so lucrative on the back end. I got to where I was making eight, $10,000 a month in about three to four months time. So I very quickly got back on track and went back. I won lots of bonuses, TVs and stereos and all kinds of things in that period of time. And was really rocking and rolling. Here's what happened. I'll give you the, the ending of this and then we'll move on. The ending was in two years, I had enough track record to look back and see what had happened to these students that I had enrolled in these programs. Did they in fact change dramatically where they were socioeconomically go on to very productive, fulfilling, happy, profitable lives? And the answer is no. What happened is, and I have some specific examples of really helping kids through that program, students through that program to where they went to the live training, came back, were certified. Okay. I helped them get a job. I mean, I helped them with interviewing, walked them to the interview, drove them, whatever. And here's somebody who had a job as a travel agent. The very first morning I get a call from her at 1030. Gee, Dan, I missed the bus. I, what are you talking about? You missed the bus. This is your first day on the job. I know, but I missed the bus. You know, it, it's really pretty inconvenient for me to have to get up that early and get down to the bus stop. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You're going to stay in welfare housing rather than getting a job as a travel agent after all this? And the answer is yes. And I saw that again and again and again and again. Our government provides such a safety net for people that it's really easier just to stay within the safety net. Housing, food, dental, medical, taken care of, as opposed to getting a 10 or $12 an hour job and begin your walk your way out of that. We now have generations who expect that. That's really what they're looking for. I realized what I was doing and I was absolutely horrified when I realized what was happening. I mean, I became sick. I was sick for days, literally, because I realized this was not working. And all I was doing was putting these kids in debt that they would never have removed from their name. Now, once you have student loan debt, it's there. Bankruptcy doesn't take it away. Nothing takes it away. And we hear these stories. I was helping these kids get obligated to student loan debt and there's a verse in Proverbs 22. And when I read it, you know, it says you make the poor poor. It convicted me so hard that I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. I immediately at that point gave notice to the company. I'm not going to do this anymore. And they were like, what are you talking about? Dude, you're making ridiculous amounts of money doing this and everybody's benefiting. I said, no, they aren't. I don't believe in what we're selling. If I don't believe in it, I can't do it. I don't care what I'm making in terms of piles of cash. It's not going to happen. I'm done. Well, they were, I mean, I had an office set up. I had seven salespeople working for me. I shut the whole thing down. 
said, I'm done. About 90 days later, the government stepped in and shut down the company. Now, I don't take any you know, glory in that. I'm sad for everybody involved. But for me, you're absolutely right. Unless I believe in something, there's no way in the world I'm going to be able to sell it. And as long as I believed that I was doing something to help people, I sold it with excellence and we were rocking and rolling. As soon as I got a glimpse that what I was doing was not really helping them, nothing in the world could make me continue selling it. Well, I've been a little longer than what you expected, perhaps, and thanks for your question. Again, if you just uh, tune it in, this is Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online radio show. You can submit questions to at 48days.com, the podcast link. You have an opportunity to submit a question there or send a question to askdan at 48days.com. A lot of listeners have a lot of history. They know my past, and so they ask these questions that uh, kind of delve in. And I'm, I'm really an open book. I mean, only in, in ways that I hope help inspire people. It hasn't been all roses, all peaches and cream for me. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but the, the learning processes have been invaluable. And in the last few years, yeah, I've taken some of those lessons and kind of shaped them in a way that's worked out pretty well. Well, Brian from Commerce, Georgia says, Dan, I attended your Right to the Bank conference in August of this year with a burden to communicate through writing, but with no clear direction. The wisdom I received from you and the other participants has given me the courage to step into that undiscovered country and try something new. I knew I was being called to write and needed confirmation of that. Since then, this is pretty cool. Uh, Brian says, since then, I've been promoted to managing editor of conservativedailynews.com, a website that receives over 40,000 page hits a day. We've even, we may write a collaborative book with CDN, a suggestion that I picked up at your conference. I've also picked up other writing jobs that I can do from home, all while honing my own skills as a writer. I owe much to your teachings, would encourage anyone who feels the fire in the belly to attend one of Dan's workshops. Well, thanks, Brian. Man, what I love getting those notes where people came, took the information, and did something. At this next Writers Conference, we're going to have Randy Rutter come back. Randy came to Write to the Bank Conference a year or so ago. He's a, a musician. Well, he took what he learned here, and we have a lot of musicians come to the Right to the Bank things because the principles for promoting your work are very similar, but he took his affinity for the music industry. He interviewed 101 people who had written the lyrics. Now, not the people who wrote, so it's not about Carrie Underwood who sang, you know, Jesus at the Wheel, but rather the people who wrote. Who's the guy who wrote the lyrics to that and why? And, of course, country music lyrics usually come right out of real life experiences. Swinney Randy then contacted the chicken soup for the soul publisher. So he has a new book, chicken soup for the soul country music. It's a delightful book. I love the stories, the kind you can pick up and in two minutes you read through one, then you go on to the next one. But anyway, Randy's going to be here for this next right to the bank conference, just to share what he did to get the traction that he's gotten. And he's been, He's done book signings in Costco and some other really cool things that I'm eager to have him share. Dan, hi, Dan. This comes from Chris. I remember the lady uh, who wrote to you a few weeks back asking if she could make money with her love of cats. Well, I have a passion for classic Cadillacs. After reading and studying about them for almost 20 years, I feel like I've become an expert. As for model years, I can I concentrate on the 50s up through the 90s. I could tell you what was the first year for a certain size engine, trim levels, et cetera. Would it be possible for me to make money with this passion? 
Thanks for your inspiration, and you are truly one of my mentors. I love your focus. Yes, I love having a clear niche like that. Classic Cadillac. I just sold, Chris, just a just a month or so ago, I sold a 1978 Cadillac Eldorado Baritz. Now, you'll know immediately that's the biggest car Cadillac ever made, had the biggest engine they ever made. There were only 2,000 of those made in that year. They had the aluminum top with the sunroof, special edition. They were all one color, kind of a, it was a combination, almost a cream color and kind of a perpendicular lavender, but it had 57,000 miles on it, the one I had. Anyway, I had it for four years. I had all these dreams of what I was going to do to it, and it never, I never did anything. It just sat there. Joanne kept saying, you know, you need to get rid of that. Give it to somebody who will love it and take care of it. And about then, after four years, the guy who I had purchased it from on eBay contacted me. said, Dan, what did you ever do with that Eldorado I sold you? He said, that's the one car of all the ones I've had that I regret selling. He said, now things have gone really well. We have a much bigger house. I got a four-car garage. I'd love to have kept that car. And I said, well, it just so happens I've never done anything. It's sitting right here in my yard. I said, tell you what, you give me $500 more than what I paid you for it. Come pick it up. It's yours. He said, I'll send you a check this afternoon, which he did. And it's gone. Now, yeah, you can take your love of classic Cadillacs. Absolutely. Man, I, I mean, you, you just take that. Go have a lot of fun with that. You can buy and sell them. You can show them. You can deal in parts. I mean, I had people contact me about mine who wanted to take it to Germany just as a, just to have parts. I mean, there are people who buy those over here. And I mean, if you pay $10,000 for a vehicle, you may take it to a foreign country and get $50,000 by parting it out. You sell a fender, a mirror, you know, a front seat, power window control. I mean, all those things, you may make more money. Part You can just provide information. So yeah, you can do that. Just focus on what are 20 different ways you could make edu- make money because of your passion for classic Cadillacs. I believe that you can do it without any question. Absolutely. And you can start now asking yourself. If I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a house. I would buy you a house. You know, a lot of times people think, well, that's not really possible. If you had a million dollars, what would you do? You ought to be able to envision. What would you do? What would you do if you had a million dollars? I mean, you aren't going to start the kind of business that we're talking about here on 48 Days Online Radio. You aren't going to start a business like this with the anticipation that you're going to make $30,000 a year. If you're going to make $30,000 a year, I mean, just, just run down to Home Depot, put on an orange apron, and be a good salesperson there i mean don't do something unusual if you do something unusual it ought to have some pretty exciting potential and when we start talking about something that has an upside potential something that has a potential for residual income where it's not just you do a workshop and you get paid but what if you took the information in that workshop and you created a little dvd or an ebook or an instructional manual what if you had an instructional manual? I'm working with a physician right now, and we're looking at putting together, as a matter of fact, we've got it pretty well completed, an instructional manual. I won't tell you the details of it, but it's very um, attractive to physicians because of the way we position the, the material in there. 
What if we put that in a three ring binder with a couple audio CDs in there about how to do this particular process? We priced it at $189. Now there's like 600,000 physicians in the United States. Could we possibly get 5,000 of those? Let's say we got 5,000 of those to pay $197 for our instructional manual. Is that doable? Well, I mean, docs will pay $1,300 for an instructional manual on something or go to a conference that's $2,500 for a day. Will they pay $197? Yeah, we think so. Is 5,000 a reasonable number? Yeah, we think so. What do we just create? If we get 5,000 people who order that instructional manual at $197, well, you do the math on that. It's a million bucks. I mean, and it, it now you, you could never meet enough people personally to coach them on that information. You could probably never do workshops enough to have people attend and get that kind of information. But that's the power of leveraging an idea. Once you know what it is, your area of expertise is what, you know, what your passion is, golly, then just jump on that and look for unique ways that you can leverage it. Well, Leah asked, is currency trading gambling? Is it right for Christians to do currency trading as a hobby or to earn money? Well, this is, this is one of those, I mean, it's an interesting thing to speculate about. I mean, currency trading, is it gambling? Yeah, I would believe that it is gambling, but, but it's not a stretch to say, what about investing money in the stock market? Isn't that gambling as well? Well, yeah, you could make a case for that, that it is. If I go to Las Vegas and I put the title to one of my cars down on a roll of the dice, I mean, that's gambling. I just roll the dice, hope that something good comes up. I don't have much control over that. I feel the same way about stock trading or currency trading. You don't have any control over that. You're just kind of hoping and hoping that you time it right and you come back in. And just this week, I talked to a friend of mine who actually called me because he wanted to borrow some money, which is pretty ludicrous. I mean, he's ready to lose his apartment. Boom, everything's at the bottom of the barrel. Well, he's got a whole lot of money invested in Iraqi denarii. I mean, Iraqi currency, hoping that if things really turn around, if certain governments do certain things, then it's going to be traded for real currency here in America, and he'd have $35 million. But in the meantime, he can't pay $1,000 rent on his apartment and they're going to repossess his truck. And I'm like, okay, dude, you're coming to me to borrow money when you've chosen to use your money for that? No, I don't think so. I mean, you can gamble it any way you want to, but that's not a responsible use of funds when you have such limited funds. I mean, now, I would view currency trading just like going to Disneyland. Decide in advance how much money you're going to blow today. So if you're willing to blow 500 bucks, that's fine. Going in the same way, I mean, personally, that's what... We do when we go to Vegas, we decide in advance, how much money are we willing to lose just having fun? So we view it like going to an entertainment park. So we go in, play the slots, craps, 21, anything you want to do, I don't care. And when the money's gone, it's gone. And I don't think we've ever walked out where it wasn't exactly what we anticipated it being. Are there times when we've been up some money? Well, sure. That's part of the fun. But to do that thinking this is going to pay my mortgage next me or I have to win in order for, you know, the kids to eat food this next week. No, 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 no. 
You don't do currency trading with that kind of money. So is it legal? Yeah. But just because something's legal doesn't mean it's right, ethical, or moral. You make those decisions for yourself. Personally, I would never do currency trading because of the category that I put it in. So you have to make that decision. Legal, yes. Does it make sense? Not for many people. Not unless it's play money. Well, hey, you can tell by the sound there. We're out of time. This is Dan Meller on 48 Days to the Work You Love Online Radio. Thanks for being a listener. Pop us a question. Just go to podcast at 48days.com. We welcome your questions for upcoming shows. Thanks for being part of this growing community. Check out the gang at 48days.net. You can get involved there in ways that will help you figure out how to create work that is meaningful, productive, purposeful, and profitable. Have a great week.